A very pleasant day to all of you, my dear Living Word family here in Singapore. I also extend these greetings to all our other brethren who have already migrated to other countries where we learn and understand that you are following our every Sunday online service. The Lord bless you and your family. What a scene to behold that uh, after almost four months, I am back into our Shekinah Hall with a handful of uh, brethren here facilitating this online service. We do hope and pray that one day we will all be worshiping together as one congregation as before. The Lord's message is not limited by distance, and so wherever you are now, at the comfort of your home, your room, be equally blessed. One of the most famous landmarks in the world is a little tower in Italy called the Leaning Tower of Pisa. It is so famous that millions and millions of people have visited this monument. It is famous not because of its height, because it's only 56 meters tall. It is famous for one reason, and that it leans. It was began to be built back in 1173. That's almost 850 years now. And it leans and tilts to one side, 1.2 millimeter per year. The reason why it was leaning is because of what is underneath, its weak foundation. My father was a carpenter and a foreman, and I witnessed as I was growing up, he built many houses, and with that I was fascinated to take civil engineering as my course. And with the Lord's grace, I'm now three decades into this course, into this building and construction industry. And I can attest to you that the foundation is the most important part of the structure. We often do and submit our bidding to a developer or to a client, but they will always come back to us and they say that they don't have enough budget. So what we will do is we will give some alternative proposal. We may say, okay, we will lessen the finishes. Maybe instead of marble tiles, it will be a ceramic tiles. Instead of a curvy uh, facade, we will just make it plain, square, and simple. And instead of fixtures coming from Europe, we will just equally propose alternative from Asia. But foundation was never an option. We must build a foundation as it is necessary because it will carry the whole weight of the structure through the lifespan of the building. Our Lord taught us the importance of building our lives on the right foundation. He talked about two builders. One is the wise builder, and the second one is the foolish builder. One built on the rock, and the other built on the sand. They both have great aesthetic appeal, but what is the difference is what is underneath, their foundations. Then the storm came, and Jesus put it this way. The rains descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that houses, and it fell, and great was its fall. And that was the house that was built on the sun, as opposed to the house that was built on the rock. 
because of what is underneath. It has no stable foundation. In our Bible reading through the year, we are now in the epistle of 1 Peter, in fact, for the last five days, and in the next two days, we will be moving on to the book of 2 Peter. We have just completed our IBI VAT 7 last month. That is the life of Christ. And whenever we study the life of Christ, we find it beneficial to study also the life of his followers. Paul said, follow me as I follow the Lord. It is helpful to look at the lives of men such as Peter to find out what to do and what not to do. And we're going to examine his background, his calling, and the changes that took place in his life. I have entitled my message today, Building Our Lives on Solid Foundation. So join me in reading our text in 1 Peter chapter 1, and also we will have touch on Matthew chapter 16. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect, exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now move to Matthew. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The Lord bless the reading of his word. Let us pray. Father, we seek your guidance today, and we ask your Holy Spirit to be with us as we go to the text that we just read, and to study the life of Peter, your disciple, your follower, and learn from this man his message and how he became your vessel it's in strengthening the faith of your early church, as well as believers today who come across this man, his writings. We thank you for whatever lessons we will draw from his life as his life pointed us to you, that we will be blessed and be made closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We just read verses in the book of First Peter. 
Yes, the author is uh, Peter. His original name actually is Simon. Fifty times the four Gospels refer to him as Simon. Interestingly, the name Simon means someone who hears, which I find it a bit odd because, yes, he heard everything what Jesus said, but he didn't always listen to it, as we have noted several times. But that's who he was. That was his original name, Simon. Most people know of Peter inaccurately or incorrectly. For some, Peter has become more than really what he should become. He's become the first pope for others. For most people, Peter is simply a victim of many stories that this guy went to heaven and they saw Peter at the gate of heaven and St. Peter told them to do this and to do that. Let's look at the real Peter. Who was he really? Peter, as I mentioned, his name is Simon. He was a fisherman, a Galilean, from the town of Bethsaida. He has a brother named Andrew. His father's name is Jonah, Jonas, or John. It depends on which translation of the Bible you're using. He was with a wife. Actually, he was married. It was mentioned in Mark chapter 1 and also in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So because Peter was married, he had a mother-in-law. I had the privilege of visiting Capernaum last year, and we visited the place, allegedly that was the house of uh, Peter. He was also a leader among the twelve. Every time there's a list in the New Testament of the earliest follower of the Lord, it will always be coming in this order. Peter, Andrew, James, and John. The names aren't always in the same order with one exception. Peter will always be listed as number one. So evidently, he was the leader of the twelve. He's the one who initiates things, as you will see. There is more written about Peter in four Gospels than any of other followers of Christ. In fact, the only other person that is written more about him in four Gospels is Jesus Christ himself. But before Peter was a leader, before anything was ever written about him, he was first and foremost a disciple. The term disciple appears more than 200 times in the Gospels, referring to those 12 early followers of Christ. Disciples of Christ. You know what a disciple is. A disciple means a student, a pupil, a learner, somebody who has a teacher or a mentor. And almost all rabbis have disciples. People who would follow around, take notes, listen to what they had to say, and apply it to their lives. But when Jesus describes discipleship, Anybody who would follow him, listen uh, how he narrowly describes it. This is found in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. He said, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Now, how many people do you know 
that do that. Anyone who desires to come after me, the Lord says, he must deny himself. Now, let's just stop there. We live in an era of entitlement culture, if you will. And how many people do you know that you can ask to deny themselves? We live in a culture of personal rights. It's my right to do this. Denying oneself or denying myself is really a foreign thinking to many. Take up your cross or take up my cross and do it daily. That sounds fanatical. That's why we must or we may ask this question. How many people do you know that are really a disciple of Christ? But that's where we must all begin and ask ourselves, are we truly a disciple? Because we will never experience the pleasure of God working through us until we have experienced the God working in us by being a true follower of Christ. That is a lifelong process. Here is what discipleship is. It's a lifelong progress of conformity to His will. His will, not ours. Well, there are more things we know about Peter, and these are all the reasons why we actually love Peter. In my mind, I always imagine if we are all in a classroom, Peter will always be the guy who will be raising his hands and quite vocal. He will always be there and he will always be visible. His character is, he was very impulsive. He was a strong-willed. He was the guy when the Lord Jesus uh, said, I'll go up to Jerusalem and go there and suffer at the hands of the people and the leaders of the Jews. And Peter said, no, Lord, it will not happen. He was also the disciple who, when they were at the Garden of uh, Gethsemane, if you remember that scene when the band of soldiers are now approaching Jesus, Peter drew up his sword and cut off one of the servants of the high priest. The name is Malchus. He cut off the ear. But actually, I believe, I will imagine, that Peter was not really aiming just for the ear. He was really aiming and serious in protecting the Lord, and he was actually aiming for the head of that servant. But the things could be either of these two things, whether Malchus ducked and avoided it, or Peter being a fisherman rather than a swordman, he, he, he missed the target. He was also the disciple that uh, when the Lord was walking on the water, he asked the Lord, Lord, if it is really you, can you ask me, allow me to come to you? And he did walk on water, and after a few steps, he began to sink. We know Peter struggled a lot. He struggled also with legalism, with hypocrisy. In Galatians chapter 2, he was uh, reprimanded by Paul. What happened was, Peter was mingling with the Greeks over there, together with Apostle Paul. But then when the Jews coming from Jerusalem arrived, all of a sudden, Peter withdrew himself. And Paul did not like it, and he rebuked Peter to his face for being hypocrite. We will discover the kind of legalism that he struggled with. 
And all of these are reasons that we can actually relate to Peter. So much is written about him, so many conversations where he is talking to the Lord, and there was just, or there were just so many mistakes. And he is just so human that we can all relate to. Jesus spoke more to Peter than to any of the other disciples, at least as recorded in the scripture. Now, why is that important? Because all of those lessons that Peter learned from Jesus will be written about in his epistle, first and second Peter, I mean. And all of those lessons he learned from the Lord, we will be seeing in these books. Now, let's see and sort of look at the changes in Peter's life in three stages. The changes in Peter's life in three stages. First, there was the name change. Second, there was a status change. Third, there was a heart change. It's not uncommon in the Bible that the Lord changed the name of his people. Back in the Old Testament, uh, Abraham, his name was not really Abraham first, it was Abram. Israel as well, his original name was Jacob. So Jesus also liked to change names. The two brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, he changed their names to sons of thunder. You know, when was that? They were, I think, approaching a certain village, I'm not sure if Samaria. And then these two brothers asked the Lord, Lord, if they will not listen to our message, shall we ask fire or thunder from heaven and annihilate them? And so I believe the Lord affectionately tagged them as sons of thunder. And here we have Simon being changed, his name from Simon to Peter. Let me read to you the account of the name change. Let's open our Bible and go to first, or John chapter 1, verses 40 to 42. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Cephas is the Aramaic equivalent of Petros, or similar to a stone or a small rock. You are Simon. You shall be called stone or small rock. Now, first notice that Jesus saw him, and it says, he looked at him. It's a very important word. It means to gaze at, to look intently upon, or to consider as you look. It's as if Jesus was looking right through Simon Peter, seeing not only who he was, but seeing who he will become. Simon, that's who you are naturally. Peter, that's what you will become supernaturally. 
Jesus saw people differently, you know that. In the Old Testament, there was this instance where God spoke to prophet Samuel and he says, For the Lord does not cease as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Jesus saw into the heart of Peter and he saw all the failures, all the frailties. He saw who he was naturally, but he also saw what he would become supernaturally. And so he renamed him Peter. But get this, even after the name change, the Lord still called him sometimes Simon on his original name. And there are two reasons of that. First, that is really his historical identity. That was his birth name. But number two, when still acts like his old self, then Jesus will call him his old name. Example, Peter swore that he would never deny Jesus. He really make swear uh, even his life he will give to the Lord, but then he denies him three times. You will see that there are these names, Simon and Peter, sometimes Simon Peter. Those are the names that represent the two sides of Peter that he struggled with. He just struggled like all of us do. Anyway, that's a name change. Now, the second one, status change. From disciple, follower, learner, student, to apostle. The word apostle means somebody who was sent out, somebody who was commissioned. In classical Greek, the word apostle or apostolos speaks of an expedition of a fleet of ship that would go out and represent a kingdom. So it means somebody who is sent out on a mission. So the disciple status will become apostles, and let me share that to you. In Matthew 10 verses 1 to 2, And he called them to him, his twelve disciples, and gave them authority over unclean spirits, to cast them out, and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. You will see that from the verse 1, 12 disciples, right after verse 1, you will see the transition from disciple to apostle. Now, here's what we need to know about an apostle that you might hear them even these days in certain churches. But the Bible will use them or will use the term apostle in two ways. Most frequently in a very strict sense. It talks about and referring to those original 12 that were handpicked by the Lord Jesus himself. There will be another set of apostles that we can find in the book of Acts. And we can see these are Paul, Barnabas, and Silas. I understand somehow that there are still some churches today 
that they call their missionaries as apostle. So we can see here the stages were like this. There is a conversion from convert to being a disciple and to being an apostle. And I think this is really a healthy progression for any Christian. It was Jesus who said, as my father has sent me, so I'm sending you. There is a book called Why Churches Die. Hollis Green is the author. And he said, churches die when converts don't become disciples and when disciples don't become apostles. That is when churches die. That's when people die spiritually. Questions. Are we truly converted? Has there been genuine repentance and a surrender of our lives to Christ? That is the number one. Number two, after the conversion, have we become a disciple, one who denies himself or oneself, one who takes up his cross daily and follows after Christ? Number three, are we discovering our sphere of influence into which we are sent out to represent Him? Three very important stages of growth. The sphere of influence that it is being mentioned here, we mentioned that those apostles are those who are sent out for a mission. But we, in our days now, it's not necessarily limited for those who are going to remote places and taking missions. In fact, wherever we are, where the Lord has placed us, that is our mission field. There is this praise that says, brighten the corner where we are. And so we should become an influence to where the Lord has placed us. In any case, this personal friend of Jesus, Peter, the one that personally commissioned by the Lord, he failed Jesus three times when he denied him. And that will bring us to the third change, the heart change. Now, this comes after the resurrection of Christ, after Peter had denied Jesus. And the Lord himself comes to Peter in the shores of Galilee, if you remember that scene, when they were eating with the Lord on the fish that were provided on the shore, Jesus asked Simon, son of John, do you love me more than this? And Peter replied, yes, Lord, I love you. Then the Lord Jesus replied to him, feed my lamb. Then the Lord asked Peter again the second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And then Peter replied, Yes, Lord, I love you. Then the Lord said, Tend my sheep. Now, if it was not awkward already, asking him the same question twice, he asked him the same question on the third time. Peter, do you love me? And I would imagine at this time, Peter kind of hung his head and he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And then the Lord Jesus told Peter, feed my sheep. 
I believe the most gracious words that we can say to a fallen leader is what the Lord did here. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Can I suggest that those are the most gracious words you, can, you could ever tell a fallen leader? As if he is telling, Peter, I am entrusting you the most precious thing that I know that I have, my own flock, whom I died for. I'm making you not only a fisher of men, but a shepherd of sheep. I want you to feed my sheep. Tend them. We would understand if Peter, after the resurrection, was approached by Jesus, and Jesus said, You know, Peter, you are an embarrassment to the group. You open your mouth a lot. And you have so much character flows in you. So, yeah, I can forgive you, and uh, you can still be my disciple. But I can never use you again as my apostle. You're just too scarred. But Jesus did not do such. Actually, he restores him. And he commands him to tend and feed his lambs and sheep. And because of this, there is a deep heart change that happens. Because of this, Peter will go on to preach the first sermon during the Pentecost day. And 3,000 souls came to the saving knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. After that, Peter will go on to approach Cornelius, the first Gentile convert in the history of our faith. Not only Cornelius, but also his household and his servants. Peter will go on after this to spread his wings north of the country, uh, in Syria, in Antioch, to oversee the church growth over there. And in Acts chapter 12, we will see Peter, he addresses the Jerusalem council. God is patient with people or with his leaders alike. We ought to be patient with them as well. God is developing each and every one of us. We are still work on progress as we mature. Anytime you find somebody with leadership ability like Peter, somebody who initiates, somebody who speaks out, somebody who moves and acts, it's, not, it's just a matter of when, it's not if, but it's a matter of when, when they're going to commit mistakes. But just as the Lord restores Peter, we must be like the Lord as well. We have to be peacemaker and restore our brethren who committed mistakes. I was watching a film about uh, Peter in preparation of this sermon. And though this is just tradition, it's not in the Bible. Do you know that according to tradition, Peter died by crucifixion and he requested this executioner that to, for him to die upside down because he said he is not worthy to die like his master. Just before that scene in this movie, Peter had all the chance to escape. But Peter now, looking back at what happened when he denied the Lord, being matured now in the Lord, he said, No, Lord, I will face this. 
Not again, Lord, that I will deny you. Peter really changed from failure to faithful. Now, we can see the changes in Peter's lives in these three stages. There is the name change from Simon to Simon Peter to Peter. The status change from disciple to apostle. And the heart change from failure to faithful. Let's closely look at what he wrote as uh, we presented in our earlier text today in the first Peter chapter 1 verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. These are places which are no longer, if you will try to look at the map, you Google them, they are no longer in existence because these places are in Asia Minor. These are provinces of Rome at that time. Today, the present place is Turkey. To some of them, specifically Galatians or Galatia, the Apostle Paul wrote. But here, Peter was writing in general to all the Christians scattered in these areas in these areas where newly formed churches are happening. Question, the very first time Jesus used the word church in the New Testament, do you know or do you remember who he was talking to? Yes, he was talking to Peter. It was a conversation with Peter at Caesarea Philippi, where we just read also in our beginning text, when the Lord Jesus asked him, who do men say that I am? And his disciples said, they said, you are John the Baptist. They said, you are Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And the Lord Jesus asked them, but who do you say that I am? And then Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then the Lord replied to him, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In hearing that sentence, some have actually believed that Jesus was building his church upon Peter. You are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And they say, well, his name means rock, he is building his church on Peter. Can I just say... If he built his church on Peter, we're all in hot water today. That is not a great foundation to build on. The church was not built on Peter, the stone or the small rock. It was rather built on the massive rock, on the Messiah. It's what Peter said about Jesus. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I'm going to build my church on that confession. That's what we also heard when Paul says later, for no one can lay any other foundation than that which has already been laid, which is Christ. In 2 Samuel 22, verse 32, it says, For who is God besides the Lord? And who is rock except 
God. In 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 and some of the verses here, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the clouds and all passed through the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. And Peter himself, in 1 Peter chapter 2, in the succeeding verses, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the, the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So we can see in all the references that we read, the rock where the Lord will build his church is none other than himself. Don't be mistaken about that. Now, what does Peter write in his epistles? Well, I'll tell you, one of the great themes of First Peter is about suffering. Now, if that causes you to perk up because maybe you're going through or experiencing suffering right now, I can just say this. The book of Peter is going to minister especially to us. Fifteen times the word suffering was mentioned in the book of Peter. So I encourage you to please read the writings of the book of Peter, and you will see the maturity in him that grows out of the many trials that he went through. And he overcame it all because he was solidly and firmly planted on the solid rock on the solid foundations. By reading his epistle, he'll tell us about suffering and going through the various trials in life, and yet still we can be at peace and be aligned in the will of God. He is going to tell us about living victoriously in the midst of hostility or any similar pandemic that we are going through right now. He's going to teach us about how to live now and being hopeful, knowing there is that blessed hope that is coming of Christ. Him being very certain, as he said, when he was an eyewitness or eyewitness at the mountain of the transfiguration, when he behold the glory of our Lord and heard the voice saying, He is my son in whom I am well pleased. Another point that I wish to convey, when we are suffering, let us remember what the Lord taught us when he was praying in the garden of Gethsemane. When he was in the garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, Lord, if it is possible, let this cup be removed from me, yet not my will, but your, your will be done, O Father. The late apologist Ravi Zacharias once said, Prayer is not a grocery list of requests, 
desiring to change the will of the Father, but rather it is a communion with the Father changing our hearts to accept His will. In 1 Peter 5 verse 1 and 4 it says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Suffering, if any, the lessons it shows us is that it teaches us to rely upon him and to that promise he gave us. He already said in this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Yes, in this world we are not exempted of sufferings, and the Lord did not guarantee us that, and in fact it is actually the opposite. But the Lord one day will end all this suffering, but not in this physical body of ours. Have our consolation on these words in Revelation. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every fear from their eyes, and that shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. There will be a time when mournings, when all cryings, when all pains will go away and they will pass away. But as long as we are in this body of ours, let us cling to the Lord as Peter did. Now, let me close by finishing the story of the Leaning Tower of Pisa. So many years ago, many experts predicted that it will eventually fall in the year 2007. But many experts did some repair and underpinning. And they put back the verticality of it by 450 millimeter, that was, I believe, the 1838 position. Now they are predicting that it won't fall at least until the year 2300. But that's not the point here I want to make. Eventually this structure and all other structure for that matter, just as the Bible said, it will be laid ways and all will eventually will lay flat. At any time, a catastrophe or storms of life will strike or blow, blow us. And we really never know when it's coming. Jesus said about those two houses or those two builders, one who built on the rock and one who built on the sand. The rains descended, the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and great was it fall. As it is now, the whole world is beset with current pandemic. 
We never expected this. And its effect is across the board, across the globe, across everyone. The very fact that the Bible says that the, rise, that the, that the sun rises to both good and evil alike is actually being experienced now. So all of us are suffering and going through this difficulty. Shall we make the intentional choice that in times like this, we need an anchor? We need to be standing on solid ground and boldly declare according to that famous song, on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. My dear brothers and sisters, our hope shall be built on nothing less than the rock upon which Peter boldly states, where can we go in you? We found eternal life in you, our Messiah, the Son of the living God, whom the Lord Jesus himself declared, upon this rock I will build my church, and that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Let us all build our lives on the rock, the solid foundation. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for the things that we learned today. Looking at the life of Peter, a man who was just like us, frail, failed and struggled in many aspects of his life. But just as he placed his trust on solid rock, his life became an example and he taught others how to live and build their lives on solid ground, the foundation which is Christ. When you said upon this rock, I will build my church, we are the very church that you came to build. And we echo that confession that our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' works on the cross. You said that in this life we will have troubles, but you said as well that we will be, we be of good cheer, for you have overcome the world. When you were with your disciples at the upper room, you said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. Lord, that is our blessed hope, your coming again. Meanwhile, while we eagerly await patiently for that time to come to pass, teach us to live our lives yielded and rested on you, our rock, and help us believe and have this confidence that whatever happens, nothing will ever change or will ever separate us from your love, we, your church. As we are solidly established and built on solid foundation, and because of these, we will overcome whatever we may face, for nothing will ever change that, and even the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We thank you for this assurance, O Lord, our rock, our firm and solid foundation. We give you back all the glory and praises. In the name of our Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.
Amen. We hope that you were blessed by that sharing of the life of Peter. Before we end, let me just read our benediction for today. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you for, for joining us today. God bless you.